first time we are here since the first plant service on the beach. So first time in this building. So very, very nice to see where you guys are at. And um, I just want to say I am Afrikaans, and normally by about Friday my, uh, my English finishes. So, but I did feel in the Lord that I'm allowed to borrow from next week, so I think it might be finished by Thursday next week. So we'll see how it goes. Yo, maybe I should move a little bit. Is that better? Okay. So maybe a little bit about myself. I grew up in Nelspreet. That is a very far place. I don't know if there's anybody else from Nelspreet or who's heard of Nelspreet before. But uh, one or two, sure, okay. <laughs> there is another part of the country. It is quite north. Um, and through a long story, grew up there, studied a bit in Potchefstroom, a year in Joburg, and the Lord sent me down to the beautiful town of Melpostrand, where I eventually didn't meet Ilza there, but we met in that time, and um, we currently still live in Melpost. And I'm very thankful for the people and the church the Lord has added us to, and um, myself and Rob's also come a long way, so thanks for being here, Rob. Moral support. <laughs> but I want to kick us off. So I actually want to share a little bit more of my story. And um, so I grew up as a pastor's kid just outside, just outside Nelspreet, where there was a congregation, and it was a quite a, I want to say, conventional and conservative congregation. And we grew up in the church in, the, in those days. And I'm not going to say which denomination it was or which not. You can... You can fill in your own denomination in, in the blank there. But yeah, actually on that, I just felt the Lord like say, like just to honor other, honor other churches as well. And um, so I grew up in this church and um, it was very, I mean, you know, quite rigid in how, how it was. And my dad was actually a missionary pastor. He preached under the Zulus in the area, but the, we were linked to, the, to this church and they paid his salary through that. So, and we stayed on the church grounds and... It was actually a very really nice place to stay. But um, in my growing up, obviously, I've, in the church, I was taught about the Bible, and I was taught about God, and I've heard about the Spirit like now and again. But, um, yeah, the Lord, I didn't know much about the Lord. I didn't meet the Lord in, the, in that time. So it was more a law thing. It's like I started learning what's the expectations what should you do? When should you stand? When should you sit? When should you not turn around and listen? And um, so it was very law-driven. So during that time, with a law, you can actually start kind of manipulating the law. So I started getting pretty good at knowing what should I do and what shouldn't I do. So my mother taught me a lot of good manners. So I had quite an arsenal of good manners in my pocket. So then if we were at tea or anything on a Sunday afterwards, I would make sure that I pull out all those good manners for the tannies in the church. Because if I could wrap them around my finger, I know there's a good report that would go home. And then when I wanted to get away with something else, I knew, I knew there were a few points in the pocket already. So that was my approach to, to, to working the system. It's not good, you shouldn't do it, but <laughs> I didn't know any better back then. But Inside me, I always knew there was something missing. Like, you, you learn about God, you learn about the Bible, and which I'm thankful for. I have a good foundation also just learning about the Word in that time. But I always knew there was something missing. And obviously, looking back now, I know it was the Spirit that was missing in me. Um, and 
with a lack of the Spirit, you try and fulfill this with other things. And I tried many a thing to try and fulfill this and get the peace and prove myself and who I, who I think I should be. Um, but that obviously never worked. Until the Lord later on took me to a place of encountering the Spirit and hearing God's voice. And then finally I realized this God that I've been taught all these years is actually real. The Lord started speaking to me and I could hear, could hear his voice and hearing his voice is a very odd term because you, it's not, I didn't hear him audibly. But in my heart, I could feel the Lord started pointing out things for me. And I almost want to describe it as in your, not, in your heart, you know something. It doesn't make sense in your head yet, but in your heart, you know something. And then as the time goes by, you start realizing, hey, that thing has actually come to life that the Lord has pointed out in my heart. Hmm. So, so going through that, meeting the Spirit and meeting God, it took me quite many years in how the Lord started training me up and speaking to me. Um, and a lot of healing that I had to go through that because obviously you mess up a lot during the time when you don't know the Spirit. Um, and it was an amazing time where the Lord just grew me. And a very tough time because the Lord just breaking you into new things and showing how you how he actually wants you to live. And finally, the Lord decided through my wife to bring me into a church that's actually healthy, a church that follows the Spirit, and a, a church that speaks into each other's lives. You don't just come here on a Sunday, sit down, listen to somebody, some guy talking, and then going home, where there's actually communion, where there's people in your life, speaking into your life, touching on things like, hey, I see that little thing of yours. Maybe we should just speak about that thing. That's not really what the Bible says you should look like. And an amazing thing is just having the Spirit in us to, to point out things and to highlight things. That is, the Spirit is such an essential thing to the church that I mean, the church will be dead if we don't have the Spirit and if we don't follow the Spirit. So, so the other thing that, that you can think when you meet the Spirit is that, whew, finally, I'm finished with the church because now I've met with the living God. And I don't blame you for believing that because from the background that I came from, you would think, oh, this is the church, this is a set of rules. Like I always miss the rules. I never, I never meet, meet up to what is expected and now I meet the Spirit and suddenly I'm free. And now it's just me and God. God's going to point the point the route, and he's going to show me exactly where to go. But if we look at Matthew 16, verse 18. Yo, you're quick, Josh. All right. <laughs> so, so it says, and I tell you that um, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, so this just shows me that right there when Jesus was still alive, he said, now that I'm, now that I'm almost going to leave, I'm going to start building my church. And the church was the plan from the start. The church wasn't, wasn't something that, oh, maybe we can save the world through it. The church is actually the vessel that, that Jesus decided to use as building his church and bringing people into salvation. So for us to think that, oh, and it's just me and the Spirit, I don't need the church. Jesus ordained it, and he chose to use the, the church. So push into the church, build the church, and actually start loving the people in the church. And yes, we come in with all our own ideas, but I want to encourage you to start letting go of those ideas and actually allow the Spirit to start ministering into your heart and go like, ah, okay, Lord, I start seeing what you're showing me now. And um, just another, another story in my life. So my parents enjoy music, and uh, they, they thought, obviously, in those times that 
every child should play an instrument. So I started out with the accordion when I was really small. Anybody else that did the accordion? The block flate? Is it the wrong one? The record recorder. The recorder. Sorry, wrong word. There goes the English. So the recorder, the block flate. So I had to play it in, the, in front of church once. That wasn't great. Um, so, but that was still fine. I, that was still, I was still young, didn't know much better. But then my parents decided I needed to start playing the piano. Now, still young, still transitioning from the recorder into the piano was fine. And I thought, yeah, maybe one or two years we should be, should be okay. I didn't know, but um, my parents had other plans for me. So, so eventually I had to take piano until, the, until I was grade nine. So I think I started probably around grade five and I had to continue with it until grade nine. I probably lost interest in grade six. Um, so, so pushing a kid to start to keep on playing the piano until grade nine, that was really not cool. I can tell you that. And um, so, so that, that did bring a bit of division between me, me and my parents. We've worked through it. Um, we all, we're all good now. But, um, but on, the, on the other hand, I actually have a, I've got a very, very good friend, and he's exceptional at teaching piano. So I think if, if he would teach a sloth to play the piano, it would be exciting. It, so so he's, he's really brilliant. And I, I see he works with the kids. And I think to myself, if I had piano with him, that would be, I mean, I would probably continued after grade seven. Doubt it, but let's, for the sake of that, say that. And having to play piano for such a long time also like brought some hurt and things in me, and it wasn't great. But the thing is, what I realized is, piano isn't inherently bad. I thought so, and I thought it was really evil. <laughs> but, uh, but I realized it's actually a good thing. I don't play piano anymore, but <laughs> and, I, and I can't because it's just. <laughs> but 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 the thing I just realized with church as well is we can have this experience of something just as I had a piano and it was bad, and as this thing, how how piano was applied in my life back then was not good, and it caused a lot of hurt and it caused a lot of pain, and the same with the church we can apply how church was applied in the past could have caused you a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. But getting to the place where you see that church is actually applied in the right way and it's applied such that it brings life and it brings growth, it can be this amazing thing of just the fellowship and you can see the growth, you can see the spirit moving, you can see people coming to life and suddenly it actually can be enjoyable. Joy is actually a fruit of the spirit and to actually find the, find the spirit in the church, we can actually experience that joy. Ivan, one of our other elders in Malpas, normally tells me to smile. So I was sitting here thinking, oh, I should smile. <laughs> if I talk about joy, I should probably smile. Eh? <laughs> so I'll smile. <laughs> but uh, I just want to see if I missed something. No, that's good. So, so seeing that we've transitioned from from a church that, that's been applied incorrectly and, and transitioning into a church. And, and in my opinion, I feel that being in, in Josh Jen as a church has, is really a church where things are applied in such a way that it brings life. So in, in transitioning into a church where it's actually healthy and you can see the growth, I'm going to just touch on something. What do we, how do we look after one another when we are in a church that is healthy? And... Um, 
I want to read us Acts 2, 42 to 47. So most of you know it quite well. And um, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I want to touch on this, this part that it says that all the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone to anyone who had need. So before you pull out your paper bags and starting to hyperventilate when I say sold the possessions and gave to everyone. Um, yesterday when I, when I had to take a break in, in preparing this preach, I walked, I walked in the garden, I enjoyed a bit of gardening and Hillian always helps me very nicely. And um, we transplanted a prickly pear from the one side of the garden into, into the other side. And it already had a few roots because I think I made a cutting a while ago. And I, and I got to it and, and I looked at it and I'm like, hey, there's actually I could see the little knobs on it where the, new, where the new leaves are actually starting to come out. It has a few, it has a few roots, so it's, there's actually you can see the new life is starting to, to grow. And, and looking at that, what I just felt for, for Azerfontein specifically is that the Lord's actually starting to, to make these new growths in you. He's starting to, to make things grow. You've, you've shot a few roots already and you're starting to, to get water from the ground. And now he's starting to touch on these, these other things that he's starting to grow. And I feel this is one of the things in the how we look after one another um, in a physical sense in the church. And um, what I actually felt is, is, yeah, that some of you are actually still in debt financially. You're in, you're in a, you're in a pickle. You, you are stuck in, you are stuck in debt. And actually, like Mike also said, to start walking that thing of your finances. And I know finances can be a hard thing to open up, and it can be a hard thing to, to put in front of somebody because it's something that we hold on so tightly and so dearly, because. We can get it right, and um, but it's something that we don't actually speak that much about. And I want to encourage you this morning that start following the Spirit in your finances. Start allowing the Lord to start touching on that thing in your heart where where you've been holding on to your finances, and start opening up your hands and walk with somebody. Tell them, hey, listen, I'm I'm stuck in debt, and um, and not even just stuck in debt. If you just struggling to get through, open it up to someone. Um, because if, you, if you're in debt, you start, you're pretty much giving the bank your money where you could have invested that money into eternal value. There's no eternal value in giving your money to the bank, I can tell you that. Um, I want to read Acts 10, 1 to 4. Yo, Josh. <coughs> so it says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family would devote and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your present gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. What's incredible for me about this, about this portion is 
a physical gift that Cornelius actually gave, came up as a memorial offering before the Lord. Sorry. And, and we would think, if I give physically to the church, it's just going to, I don't know, disappear. But, but this portion just shows me how a guy that gave physically, and he prayed to the Lord, he gave to the poor, his money, he didn't, he didn't just pray for them. He actually gave them money, and how that actually came before the throne room of God. God went, it's time that I pour my spirit out on the Gentiles. Like, who will I pick to pour my spirit out? And, and he looked at the guy that gave his money. He didn't look at the guy that fasted 24, 48 days. He actually looked at the guy that gave something of himself, that gave of, of his money to the Lord, and he prayed. That was important. <laughs> but uh, I just want to read, sorry, I just want to find it in James 2 verse 14. I'm going to jump on Josh here. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can, can such faith save him? Can you, just con can you continue on? Sorry. So it's, it's the right one, just the, I think the next verse. Okay, I'll, I'll just continue here. So it says, verse 15 says, suppose a brother or a sister uh, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but has nothing about their physical needs, what good, is that? what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And it's nice to say to somebody, oh, I, hope, I really hope that you, that you sleep warm tonight and do nothing about it. I mean, it, it really means nothing. And, and there is a thing of giving to, giving to God's house first. Yes, we can look after a lot of people out there. There is, there is many people with a need, but actually, firstly, give into God's house and looking after God's people. And, and how do we actually physically do this? How, like, how do we administrate this? Um, we, we oversee what we call the pantry, and you've heard Mike speak about the pantry. We oversee something that's called the pantry in Malpos. And it's, in a, it's a bank account that is held by the church, and, but we as a leadership in Malpos has the has the oversight on it, and we can say, hey, we see somebody is in need at this stage here, and somebody's need there, and then we can actually allocate these funds to these different people. But the amazing thing about it is we don't just go like, oh, yeah, here's your money, and then for the next 10 years, keep on giving people money. We can actually invest in people's lives and go, oh, I see you're struggling in this area of your life. Can we speak into that area of your life? And the money actually enables us to do that. If we didn't have the money, we could go like, oh, I see this area in your life is struggling. But if you have the money to go like, like I read in James now, if you have the money and say, well, here's money for food, but can I please speak into your life in this area? It just opens it up so much more easily. You don't want to say you buy a way in, but <laughs> <laughs> almost. But <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, Acts 4, 33 to 35. So it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, we don't generally bring the, your thousand rand worth of five rands to the church anymore. 
and put it at the leader's feet. That is just an administrative nightmare. <laughs> so these days we have, we can pay in the EFT. <laughs> and, um, but why do you give it to the leaders? So, so just maybe from the ex some experience that we've, that we've had is somebody would be in need in the church and, and later on you realize, oh, that person has given that person some money. Oh, that person has, he's asked that person as well. And that person has given him money. And where you were actually walking a road with this person and you realize like this person shouldn't be receiving any money anymore because they need to go find a job. And, and that's the thing. The Lord actually gives the, the leaders in the church. He gives them oversight over the church and they can... They can see and distribute as they see fit. That everything doesn't like go to the guy with the loudest mouth and the guy with, that seems to be having the greatest need. But that guy actually maybe needs something else. He needs somebody to pray with him, somebody to walk with him with his finances because maybe he gets enough, but he just doesn't know how to, how to manage it well. And just as Acts says, that they laid it at the apostles' feet. They gave it to the leaders and say, you distribute it as you see fit. So I want to end with this. I want to I want to ask you actually to close your eyes. I want to read I want to read Corinthians 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 to 10. And it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I just want to pray this over us. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, and I want to pray that, that each of our hearts, Lord, you see each heart, Lord. And as we look to, to look after one another, Lord, to build this healthy church of yours, Lord, to build people up, not just spiritually, but financially as well, Lord, to make sure that people don't have need, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that you will, you know, just now, Lord, in everyone's heart, just put on their hearts, Lord, what you want them and how you want them to, to contribute towards your church and towards looking after each other, Lord. So that that sprouting of that, of that prickly pear leaf, Lord, can grow into a, into, a big, into a big leaf, Lord. That people from all over can see this church is actually looking after the people that comes into them, Lord. And, uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm.